Sober Experiment podcast by Be Sober. I'm Alex, one half of Be Sober. And I'm Lisa, the other half. We're dead proud to be working with IPHM this season and can't wait to tell you all about them and their services. The IPHM is a worldwide accreditation board with a difference. Their passion lies in helping people live the life they love as well as giving the public the reassurance they need to know they'll be in safe hands. There's a reason all our coaches are IPHM accredited and a reason we are an IPHM accredited training provider because their reputation is simply the best out there. Check them out at iphm.co.uk and don't forget to name drop Be Sober when you apply. Hello again. Hi. I can't believe it. The sun's gone down now and it's a good job. We don't actually have to have our videos out there anymore because... I've got like complete reflection in my glasses. <laughs> you just look pale. No, the light is terrible. I don't know what's going on. You know what? It's amazing what um, what a difference a couple of hours makes because we've done our recordings very differently this time and it's been amazing. So we've already done like the last two weeks guests. Yeah. Which was fantastic. Then we've had a full day of work. Yeah. And now we've got um, this amazing interview coming up, which I am really excited about. But it's just so weird because I was all like bright and fresh and breezy. And now I'm like, I'm a bit angsty today. Yeah, I think it's time of year. There's lots going on. It's just, uh, we should definitely do a podcast about anxiety and things that just crop up and give us anxiety though as well at some point. We should actually do a full one on it because you and me... A full one, let's really go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we definitely should do. This is a bit of a different um, podcast for us today, isn't it? Yeah, it's completely different. So, oh yeah, a bit of a different one. Yeah, it's nothing like any of the others we've ever done before. I'm a bit, I'm anxious about this in a way. Yeah, I am. I think it's when you don't like fully know somebody. Yeah, you know we don't, what I mean? we don't, not even not fully know him. We don't know him. <laughs> we've even tried to have a really good stock for you guys so we can explain. And, and we've not got that far. But basically, um, it's a lovely guy called Richard. Alex, can you please say his last name? I can try. I think it's Jankovic. I think. Right. Richard Jankovic. I think that is right. Yeah, it tell us right. If it's not, but I'm pretty sure it is. Richard Jankovic. And he is an American entrepreneur. He is a musician and an author and part of the band Big Mother Gig. So Big Mother Gig um, are actually a Los Angeles-based brand they've released an album called gusto um and it features the lead single the underdog this album is actually a celebration which is obviously why he's here on our podcast but it's a celebration of sobriety and it's a recovery record which kind of addresses family marriage addiction anger despair serotonin and ultimately hope which we all need a little bit of so um we hope you enjoy it i wonder if he'll play us a song lisa i know i thought that (laughs) (laughs) do you think he will i don't know should we ask him to (laughs) yeah no it might be really awkward that's like when if if you i can't sing so this never happens to me but you can actually sing so this does happen to you um, but people just think you should randomly sing, don't they? Like comedians tell like us sing, a joke. Sing well, and will play it be the a guitar? bit awkward like that? Well, I hope not, because he did say when he emailed originally that 
we could have him on a, the podcast to perform or speak to us. And I didn't actually go back and tell him which one. I'll tell you what, if you if he arrives with his guitar, we'll ask him to play us a song. Yes, we will. <laughs> that that's a deal. <laughs> deal. Hello, Richard. Hi guys. How are it's, you? How are you? It's lovely to meet you virtually. Yeah, likewise. So we'll be dead straight. We were so like with the first we got your email, we got an email. And obviously it was hugely intriguing on so many levels. Firstly, because you said you would perform or you could perform. We've not asked you to do that, obviously, so we won't land that one on you. But secondly, like, you know, a musician, it's something that's really close to my heart, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but a sober musician as well. And we did so much digging around on you, but you, you, you're quite hard to dig into. We've got we've got a bio, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. I... Um... I'm about three and a half years sober. Wow. Um, my drug of choice was alcohol. I was uh, basically a functioning alcoholic for about 20 years and um, sort of realized that that needed to change. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about why. And um, but yeah, so as part of the process of getting sober, I wrote an album. And so it's the first time in my life I've ever written and performed music while being sober and it's been really uh really amazing actually i just finished a tour of the country um sober <laughs> which wow. was it was really great honestly I, I was really thankful that i was sober for the entire experience so how was it different do you think richard oh i mean it, it, it in every way it was different um, I mean, there's just the sort of like, um, I guess the, like the easy things to talk about are, I knew where I was when I woke up the next day. Um, yeah. I remember every performance. Um, then there's things like, uh, I felt like I was performing very authentically, um, you know, I used to, I had convinced myself that I needed to have at least a couple of drinks before I got on stage just to loosen up. And without that, it sort of feels more honest the way I perform now. Um, it feels like, I don't know, it's hard to explain because I'm still performing. I'm still a, a very natural performer, um, but... Everything I do is very intentional now, whereas before I would maybe do something, you know, while uh, under the influence and then later reflect on it and think, oh, maybe that wasn't, you know, that didn't go over well or maybe that was all sloppy or, you know, whatever. And now it's like if I decide to, you know, jump off an amplifier, it's it, it's because I chose to do that while sober and not, you know, in some sort of like. I don't know, misguided attempt at being something that I wasn't. I love this. Please tell me you've jumped off an amplifier sober. <laughs> I, I haven't. <laughs> Please tell us you're going time. to do. <laughs> I, 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 I will when it's, when it's appropriate. But uh, I mean, I jump a lot, 
but not quite off of an amplifier. <laughs> no, I think though it's like it's like with anything, whether or not it's you know in a creative industry or whether or not it's just in everyday life. When you cut out the booze, it takes a little bit longer to find out what feels kind of relaxed and what feels like you're in your groove. But when you do get there, it's real. It's not that kind of sh- overshadowing. And then you're not going to have that horrible, anxious, like, what did I do? What did I say? Did yeah. that go down like you've just described? It's the same as life, isn't it? It's just that it's obviously in front of everybody where you're doing your stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it's totally true. And, and the album that, you know, I made while I was getting sober or actually about a year after I was sober, was sort of a reflection on the process of, of getting sober. It's, um, you know, previously when I would write a song, I was always very focused on being clever or, you know, saying something that people would really think, Oh wow. He knows something, you know, this album is just, I, you know, you always hear musicians say, Oh, I make this music for me. And I always thought that was kind of BS. I'm like, you don't make it for you. You make it for the audience. But this was the first time I really did make an album just for me and having people respond to it was a bonus, but it really was about my feelings, about my experience and about how I felt about myself, which I'd always been afraid to do before. So this album is Gusto, correct? Yes. So you you said, um, and you say about it on the website, that it's a recovery record that addresses marriage, addiction, anger, serotonin, despair, and ultimately hope. And it's a bit of an emotional journey focusing on second chances. Okay, now we cannot just skim over that, I'm afraid. You've got to tell everybody, <laughs> everybody in the world must relate to this album. Everyone, yeah. Surely. <laughs> we cannot skim over it, okay? So what, what we want to know is... I hope you've got a little bit of time. Where did all that come from? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, so it's, it's really, it's really hard to kind of pinpoint when alcohol became um, a a disease for me, as opposed to uh, overindulgence. Um, I think there's a point at which, you know, people, can kind of go from drinking a little too much to drinking a little too much a lot. And then suddenly that's what you do. Um, And I've been married for 25 years and we have an eight year old daughter. And so what I think what really happened for me was when my daughter was around three or, or four, my drinking had reached the point where um, it was it was disrupting my ability to connect with her. Um, and it's not like I was a bad father, but I was I was absent mentally um, because yeah. I was hung over all the time and you know, then I would be I was either hung over or I was drinking. And so neither of those were, I felt like I was robbing my daughter from a from a proper dad, you know, from someone who's there and who cares about her. Now, that's, you know, that's the nice way of putting it. Uh, of course, there were, you know, there were things that happened that pushed me to realize that, um, 
you know, things had gotten a little explosive in the house and it was all fueled by my behavior when I was drinking. And so, um, I just thought I should take a break. This is the funny thing about the alcoholic mind. It's like, Oh, I've, I've let drinking get out of control. So I just need to get back in control so I can continue drinking. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so I took a break to get in control and did a lot of, I've always done different types of therapy. I always knew there was something a little, um, uh, I, I don't even know if I should say something wrong. Cause I think everyone can benefit from therapy, but I always felt like I needed some help figuring out facets of my mind. And so, but really when I quit drinking and I was seeing a therapist and then I remember at one point they said, do you ever think that maybe alcohol is part of the problem? <laughs> um, and I had always looked at, well, no, alcohol is sort of like the medicine for the problem, but yeah. um, you know, so through a lot of that work is where you get to, I started learning about things like serotonin and dopamine. I'd never really thought about the fact that maybe I was depressed and that maybe I was using alcohol for those temporary spikes to not feel depressed. But as we all know, it doesn't last and it ultimately makes you more you know, depressed. So yeah, so it's all tied up in family, um, a commitment to try to be a better husband and be a better father and be a better man, a better person. Um, and the only way that I know how to do that is to do it completely sober, because the moment alcohol enters my body, I'm no longer making the right choices. I'm no longer making the ethical choices of life. I just want to ask you, firstly, I want to say about what you said about controlling drinking. We shared a post the other day and it said something along the lines of like, if I could control my drinking and moderate, I'd like totally do that every day. <laughs> and it just really made me laugh because I actually read it and thought, oh yeah, I would do that. If I could just have a few glasses, I'd, I'd do that every day. <laughs> every day, yeah. Like, mm, yeah, that's not quite right, is it? <laughs> I know, it's so funny, isn't it? Um, <laughs> what we're gonna I forgot what I was gonna ask Alex because of that, because that's all I was thinking about. Then. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I, I know, sorry. It's um it's not what we had down, but do have you gone on with your mindset, Richard? Do you miss alcohol? No, I don't. Um, and it probably is because I drank for so long. Um I mean, I think I probably started drinking regularly when I was 18 and then I quit when I was like 45 or something. So, I mean, that's a law. I don't miss it because I know exactly what'll happen. Yeah. There's no mystery to it. It's not like, Oh, I'm missing a, and I've learned how to be social without booze. I've learned, you know, how to be well on stage without it, how to find the joy in life without it. Um, so no, the short answer is I don't miss it at all. I love how you say learned how to do it because that's exactly what it is. And this is what we try and get across to our members. You know, putting down the drink is really the very first step yeah. to everything because you do have to unlearn all those old habits and you do have to relearn who you are, what it means to go and put yourself out there without Dutch courage, as we say. And, you know, you have, you have to take those steps 
And it's got to be a deliberate and conscious effort to get there. So I really like how you say learn, because that's how I feel about it. You learn to be you again. Yeah. And that's true too. Like I had, um, I had sort of equated well years before I ever identified as an alcoholic, I had always known that alcohol, um, made me someone that other people wanted to be around in terms of like, at least that's what I thought. And so I thought, well, if I have a few drinks and a few more drinks, then suddenly I'm the life of the party and everyone wants to be around me. And, um, so that made it, but there's a danger to that because what ended up happening was, um, I would, I would just keep drinking and then my humor would go from being charming to being kind of mean. And then I was no longer the life of the party. I was the one that people were like, um, we're going to go over here now because you're kind of being a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, like it would sort of, because I kept pushing it, I would keep pushing it and pushing it and see how far we could go. And then the next day people would be like, Hey, have you talked to so-and-so? I'm like, Oh yeah, we had such a great time. And they're like, yeah, they don't really think it was such a great time. You know, they kind of felt like you were bullying them or targeting them. And I was like, Oh no, I was just, you know, razzing them or whatever, but not realizing that the guardrails disappear because of alcohol. And so, and then the discomfort of literally not remembering what I may have said to someone the night before. I mean, that's, you know, it's heartbreaking when my wife will say something like, Hey, do you remember that one time we, you know, spent Halloween and we all went to this party and we did that. And I'm just literally like, I have no, no recollection at all. And I think it's not necessarily that I blacked out, but I just think all of the alcohol has sort of degraded my, my memory. It's probably a combination of of both, you know, like blackout drinking, you never make the memories in the first place, you're never going to get that back. But also, yeah, over time, just numbing it out, it's going to go. We'll get back to our chat shortly, but first let us tell you a little bit more about our friends at IPHM. So IPHM is a worldwide accreditation board with a bit of a difference. They pride themselves in the personal service and it's proper humans in the office checking through the applications. They genuinely know how hard you've worked to start your own business and they'll be there for you every step of the way. Their passion lies in helping people live the life they love, as well as giving the public the reassurance they need to know they'll be in safe hands. So if you want to stand out from the rest and become part of a worldwide recognised organisation, then choose IPHM for confidence and trust. There's a reason all our coaches are IPHM accredited and a reason we're an IPHM accredited training provider because their reputation is simply the best out there. Check them out at iphm.co.uk and don't forget to name drop Be Sober when you apply. I found though, and I don't know if you found this, that as as I've moved on in my sobriety, I do start to get glimpses of things I thought I forgot. And I'm like, oh, yes, I remember that now. (laughs) Do you get that (laughs) or not? Or is it just me? (laughs) No, I mean, I I do, but I also, I've done so much therapy and, and I've read so much about the human mind that like, I'm not even really sure I trust my own memories. Yeah. Um, like I'll sometimes recall an event to somebody and I'll have completely reversed who was who in that scenario. And I'll be like, do you remember that time I did such and such? And they're like, um, that was me. I did that. <laughs> and I'm like, really? 
<laughs> I could have sworn it was me. So <laughs> memories are a funny thing because you can kind of I'm create sure your own past yeah. life to yourself now. You can pretend it was something completely different. <laughs> you could exactly. have fun with that. Actually. Do you remember that time I was the first black president? That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could. You could have Why so not? much fun with it. <laughs> what would you say to someone, Richard, who's kind of in your industry? Because, you know, notoriously, the music industry does have a reputation. Um, but what would you say to somebody that was struggling to get or stay sober? God, uh, you know, that's a really good question. I, for me, I think my, um, my age has, has helped. Um, if I was a younger artist, I would find it very difficult to, because having not experienced, um, that sort of lifestyle, it is very intoxicating for lack of a better term. Like that lifestyle looks very appealing of, you know, having booze or drugs going on stage, you know, having sex with strangers, like it all seems like really exciting. Um, but what I feel like now is that it's all, again, it sounds like a Hallmark greeting card. Like it's just all so hollow and empty. Um, you know, when I, I went on this tour recently and, you know, I'm playing in bars and people are coming up to me afterwards and, you know, talking about the show and saying how much they, and, and I can tell immediately how drunk somebody is. And there's part of me now that when I talk to someone who's very drunk, like I'm a little, I know that what they're feeling isn't authentic. And yeah. so it's hard for me to feel like they really loved that song or they really are connecting with me in a way because I know tomorrow they will not remember having that connection with my song or whatever. So that's kind of a, a side thing. Like I think when you, I, I was convinced for years that the crazier the experience, the more real it was. I don't know how I got that idea in my head, but it was like, we just always have to push, you know, cl let's climb onto the top of a building, you know, just do crazy stuff because that's what life was. Yeah. And one of the things that I embrace now is that life is not that. That's not, you can't live in a constant state of, like your heart pounding and, and all of that. Like that's not life. Life is, is what happens every day when you wake up and you roll out of bed and you start your day and, and finding how to live there and find the joy in that is, is what for an addict is really difficult and ultimately is the most rewarding part. It's finding the joy in the ordinary things, isn't it? And I think that's what I found in sobriety. You know, just normal, everyday things and being okay with that. They were things I used to run away from all of the time. And now I can just kind of sit there and think, you know, nature for me, I know it sounds so, well, to my old drinking self, somebody saying, oh, I love nature now, I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly... 
it fascinates me now. The clouds fascinate me. The leaves fascinate me, like the seasons and and animals. It's just like I've gone back to being a child sometimes. And I really wish I'd listened more. Like I watched a nature program last week and I was saying, can you believe that this does this? It was like it was all brand new to me. So it's just like you said, finding the joy in ordinary things it's just so lovely and another thing I just wanted to mention then is when you're talking to people like we avoid that now we can because it's not our job to kind of go out and mix with drunk people I've just got to say I think you're doing really well then you said (laughs) because that would absolutely do my head in (laughs) people coming up to me like oh that was amazing that was amazing I'd be like "Mm." <laughs> you were really polite, to be fair. Richard. Yeah, you were very eloquent there. Yeah, we'd have just been like, oh, oh, we can't even do it really, but we'd have given them a few signs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, having existed in that mindset for so long, I know that in the moment it feels very real. And I mean, it's one of the reasons I drank for so long is because I thought it was making me feel things. Yeah. Um, you know, I would get, I got get to the that. point. Yeah. Like I got to the point where I was, I, I, this is when I knew I had a problem. So I wasn't drinking beer or wine anymore. It was just whiskey. And I would start drinking. And then by about 10 o'clock at night, I would be so whiskey drunk, which is a very particular kind of drunk that I would just start crying about things like, you know, a, a, a show on Netflix would just turn the floodgates on. And I was like, see, this is, it's helping me feel, but what I, what I didn't realize was that it's actually the drinking was, was suffocating my ability to feel when I wasn't drinking. So like during the day when I would encounter something that might be upsetting, like I was stone faced, I couldn't have a feeling unless I had the drink. So when someone comes up to me after a show and they're like, Oh my God, I loved your song and they're buzzing. Like, I get it. Like, that's how I felt. I felt just like they did. I would get really emotional when I was drinking and, and it felt so real. And it was almost as if like, this is the thing that's allowing me, that's unlocking my feelings. Um, but it's actually the opposite. I should be able I to really feel the day. <laughs> I massively relate to that because at the end of my drinking, which is two and a bit years ago, two and a half years ago, I was the same. So things that had happened over the years um, to do with my childhood, to do with everything, had just been like stone face, stone face, stone face, don't impact me. But by the end of my drinking, after my one too many, I would sit and cry about it. And I was becoming bitter. I was becoming very bitter and resentful. So, And, and I was convinced that the alcohol was helping me to release those emotions. I really relate to that. It's more than I've related to other things that people have said. So I'm kind of glad that someone else felt that, even though it's not a very nice thing to feel. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know, earlier on, I said to you about um, music being close to my heart. So this is kind of it. My my dad um, was a musician and he was um, an alcoholic as, as well. And he actually was 10 years sober before he passed away. And I know that one of the things that he found incredibly difficult was being around and within um, situations with with drunk people so I guess 
you kind of answered it anyway but if say you're on tour and everybody around you is drinking how are you kind of dealing with that situation in the moment when you're just like oh you're all just a little bit too much what what happens there for you yeah you know this most recent tour my bandmate who i went out we just went out as a duo and he was very much in line with me. I think he had three drinks over the entire tour. So he's not a big drinker. Um, but there were moments where the people we were surrounded by, you know, the club owners or the other acts or whatever, you know, they were kind of partying. And again, I, I just keep think it comes to age. Like I'm not, I'm not out on the road and I'm, and I'm saying this is for the first time. I'm not out there playing my songs because I'm looking for a party. I'm out there playing my songs because I have, I want to share this music with people. Um, so it's actually pretty easy for me at this point to, to kind of like go, Oh, that's going in a direction that I'm not going to be a part of and just kind of move in the direction that I want to. And literally physically like leaving that. Like, room. Hi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And there's always a good reason to, you know, oh, I got to pack up my guitar or, you know, whatever the case is. There's always a good reason to leave. And drunk people don't care if you leave anyway. You know, they're focused on whatever they're doing. So it's true. The pressure to stay with the drunk folks is really here. It, they, yeah. like I said, as long as drunk people have other drunk people, they're fine. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and again, like I am not in any way, like I, like you said before, I, uh, I know you were making a joke, but like, I wish I could drink like a normal person. Like I wish yeah. I could have a few drinks and not have it derail my life. So I think it's totally great that some people can get together and have too many drinks. I do think that for the most part, humans drink too much yeah. um but i don't think that everyone who drinks too much is an alcoholic and i don't think that everyone you know who my, like my wife you know um she she will never order a drink for herself but if someone hands her a margarita you know she'll knock it back in in like a minute and a half because it tastes good <laughs> Yeah, and then if you hand her another one, she'll so so she'll she sort of. This is a funny thing that I and this is totally off the topic, but something I always found hilarious about her, she would get drunk accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> and I that, used to always say that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I never understood it. I'm like, what do you mean accidentally? I know exactly how much I'm drinking because I'm trying to get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, an I accident drinker, I reckon. I would quote the amount of times I woke up with a hangover and I'd put on my social media that I'd accidentally got drunk the night before. Honestly, I would go thinking, oh, I'll just have one or two and then accidentally have like 10. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, no, it, it was, I always knew. Uh, and, you know, I drank so much and my tolerance was so high. So I knew it would take yeah. like you know 10 or 15 drinks to even get drunk enough so um anyway i'm not sure what the original question was <laughs> well, before we kind of come to a close it'd be really interesting for you to share a little bit more about your album and your music and where people can find you because you know i i for one am very intrigued on where i can hear 
the music and I bet people listening are. So can you just talk to us a little bit about your band and what you're up to yeah. and just that? Yeah, for sure. So the band's name is Big Mother Gig, and our music is available on all the streaming services. Um, the album is called Gusto. It came out in April. Uh, it's 11 songs, I think. Um, I might actually be wrong on that. but um, <laughs> And the songs are really, um, when I got sober, I, uh, I went to the desert for a weekend with all my notebooks from therapy and just poured this album just literally poured out of me and a lot of it is about family um about the roots of my alcoholism um about childhood trauma and then about finding that joy in everyday life there's a lyric in a song called past the sun where i say i was always i'm paraphrasing now always looking for a rocket ship to take me to another place um and something about finding, you know, staying in the in the mundane. Mundane is a word that gets a lot of bad rap. I've learned to embrace the mundane uh, because it literally just means every day. Like it just means what happens every day. And anyway, uh, so if you go to bigmothergig.com, um, we're also on all the social media sites with the at bigmothergig symbol. And our band camp, you can buy albums and t-shirts if you want amazing thank you before we go richard um our be sober motto is be brave be kind be sober what we want to ask you is which of them do you most relate to right now and why um, be kind for sure um i feel like and i'm in a uh alcohol recovery program that's that's has a very buddhist approach um wow. it's called yeah it's called recovery dharma um and it's all about being sober but it's more about being a good person and you can only really be a good person if you are in control of your thoughts and your actions so for me being kind is is something that i'm focusing on on a daily basis um, in terms of like just being a good person, making the good decisions. That's a good one. It is a good one because sometimes it's hard, isn't it? <laughs> it's hard it is to being a rebel. <laughs> it is. And it's not just that. I think when you're not naturally maybe like that, it's really difficult. You know, like sometimes my first thought isn't necessarily a kind thought. I've got to really yeah. work on it and, and change it because I want to be a good person. <laughs> so I, I massively relate to that. It's a lovely one. And what's that? Recovery Dharma? Recovery Dharma. Yeah. If you go to recoverydharma.org, you can learn more about the organization. It's very LA. <laughs> it <laughs> sounds it, amazing. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, I've been in that program for two and a half years. And um, in fact, I just had a meeting last night. Do you do a bit of meditation then, Richard? Yeah. Meditation is, is woven into the program. Um, so you're supposed to do daily meditations. I, I don't usually do daily because I just can't. Um, my mind is just most of the time. So meditating is really hard for me. Um, I was going to say because of kind of your background and what you do, I was going to ask if you found it really hard. I find it hard, but I also find it so rewarding after I managed to get through it. I feel like a totally different person. Uh, but every 
part of my body resists meditation. Like the moment I sit back and, you know, close my eyes and put my hands up, my mind immediately starts making a list of all the things I need to do after I meditate. <laughs> yeah. That's like yeah, me. I get that. That's like me. And I always claim my dad was um, very into Buddhism especially in his 10 years recovery. And I know you and you and my dad had a conversation by accident, didn't you, Lisa, in the pub weird, like when he'd stopped drinking about him following Buddhism and saying, is, is that something you like and all of this? So this, Yeah, this we had a very deep conversation. I remember him telling me about it. But like one of the things Lisa's always said to me is meditate. You need to meditate when you are kind of at your busiest, really, because that's when it's most beneficial. And yeah. honestly, I, I struggle. I, I do try. I really, really do try. But like you, I sit down and it's like, oh, I've not done this. I've got to send this email. I need to do this and I need to do the other. And just to kind of push those thoughts and let them come, oh, I really struggle. I'll get there one day. I keep telling myself I will get there. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly, it it's practice. And I do much better in a room with other people. So, you know, COVID really messed that up. Um, but now we are doing in-person meetings again in recovery Dharma. So that's, I can meditate very easily when there's a room of people. And I think it's because honestly, there's like the social pressure of like, <laughs> you know, there's like eight other people or 10 other people and everyone, you, you can't check your phone and start, you know, but on a zoom you can. <laughs> so. Just a quickie, I want to ask you about this, about meditation, because it's something that I did, especially in my in my first year, I swore by meditation yeah. and everything in my body at the moment is stopping me from meditating. Um, do you find it easier when, oh, how, how can I, so for me, when things were a bit rubbish, I find it easier to meditate. But when things are going really well, I find it really hard to sit and meditate and I think it's because I kind of enjoy my thoughts and I'm liking things and but when things are rubbish I'm happy to switch off for that amount of time does that make sense yeah no I think that that does make sense I'm not sure if if that's been the case for me because um when things are bad and when things are good I feel like my mind is operating the same way it's just like freaking out about it all (laughs) yeah Um, I, you know, it's kind of like meditating is probably easiest for me when, when everything is just very already very slow and normal. Um, it, it was like, I stopped going to meetings when we had the tour coming up because I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't sit and pretend to meditate a couple nights a week when I had to be rehearsing my guitar or all the logistics and all the planning. So I just told those guys, I was like, like, I'll be back in a few months. I'll be fine. You know, if I'm not fine, I'll be back in a few months. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry, I don't know how that ended up going there, but I know, it was really yeah, we went interesting. Off on our last question. We'll put we'll put the link for recovery Dharma in the show I, notes. I well. love it. And and they're you know the, they do guided meditations. They even put some of them up on YouTube. Like I can't do I'm not the kind of guy who can just sit there and shut his eyes. Like I have to listen to a guided meditation. Yeah. Um so they have some on online too. I think they have a YouTube channel maybe or, or something where you can even just try them out. Um, on your own because they're all sober you know they're all about uh, it, it is a sobriety program so the the meditations are designed to help you through those you know the things that might cause you to break your sobriety 
Oh, that's amazing. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That is really interesting. It's been so lovely to speak to you. And thank you so much for taking the time because we know that you literally have been everywhere (laughs) and really struggled. So thank you so much. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. It really was. And lovely to meet you. Live so I can give it a listen. Yeah, we will do. We'll share it with you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. See you again soon. Bye, guys. Bye. A big thank you to IPHM for sponsoring this episode. They're a worldwide accreditation board with a difference. And if you're working in the holistic or coaching industry, remember to check them out. Visit the website at iphm.co.uk and don't forget to name drop Be Sober when you apply. And if you want to find out more about the work we do or you want to join our amazing community here at Be Sober, you can find out more about us on our website, besoberofficial.com. And until next time, be brave, be kind and be sober. sober.